having a job, what you and I would call having a job, they called wage slavery, hmm. right? And one of the reasons that the Civil War even happened was that you had these people, you had like a a brand new class of people, right? Mm-hmm. Who weren't, uh, they weren't farmers per se, right? So mm-hmm. therefore society didn't really, there wasn't really a place for them. Agnomy, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brandon Black, and in today's episode, we're covering the urban-rural split. And for anyone who knows, this is going to be another part of our new mini-series, kind of covering uh, a few theories that I've had around this split and kind of what's causing it and, and what, what impact it's having on today's society. To help me with this episode, I have my guest today, uh, Ben. You know, if, if, you, if you'd like the chance to introduce yourself, you're more than welcome to. Well, my name is uh, Ben Kitchings, and I have been studying the urban-rural divide in America for, oh, Jesus, I don't know. Uh, Well, let's, okay. I started out accidentally as a documentary filmmaker in the early, in the late 90s, Um, and I was living in a mountain town in, in North Georgia. And it's it's right, kind of at that point. It was right on the cusp of, uh, sort of Metro Atlanta. You know, mm-hmm. like I could come, like thirty minutes south, and be essentially in Metro Atlanta. But it was still kind mm-hmm. of a small town. And and these days it, it's um, it is uh, squarely, I would say metro atlanta it's the excerpts for sure um but essentially there was a process that started in like the 20s i guess the 1920s um that later they called the billy migration Mm -hmm. and what that was was so you had they call them uh hillbillies right which that's, to me, okay, my mother's people, they're from the mountains of North Georgia. My dad's people are from, uh, you know, just north of Macon, Georgia, where I think Otis Redding is from. And so, you know, I'm, you know, I'm basic, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be derogatory. I'm just, just what historians call it, mm-hmm. uh, the Billy migration. And what it was, was you had these white people and they would come off the farm and they would go into these factories in these cities. And this was all throughout App- Appalachia, which, as you might be aware, uh, runs from uh, northern Alabama all the way to, I mean, the Appalachian Mountains don't check their passport at the Canadian border. <laughs> but the Canadians that I talk to don't think that those are the Appalachian Mountains, but they are. Uh, so, you know, um, yeah, basically, um, and 
what happened was I have these books downstairs. I should say I, I have a master's in history and I'm, I've studied the urban rural divide for at this point, Oh uh, Jesus, 20 something years. Um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, but what happened, I have these books downstairs and they'll tell you the Billy migration ended in about 1960 or 1950 or so. Uh, I, I didn't believe that then. I don't believe it now. I think it did end. I think it ended about 2000. Hmm. And I think that's our problem politically is I think you can't, you get the city folk and the rural folk and they just can't, even though like the white rural folk and the white urban folk are the same race and they might even have the same last name and the same, essentially genetically the same background, the same, whatever, but they just don't see eye to eye. And that's because urban problems and rural problems are, are dramatically different. Mm-hmm. And I've had a podcast for since March of last year and talking to people all over the country. The thing I've noticed is that the rural parts of this country are literally falling apart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I heard a story from a guy in, I forget what state he was in, and I probably shouldn't say it if I remember, but I heard a a story from a guy who told me off air. He said, yeah, I have to have an ATV just to go out, just to get into town. You know, and he was talking about how the only places he could buy food in a store were like at a a gas station, and that was for miles around. Hmm. You know, and that's on the East Coast. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, so what are your theories? I'm curious what some of your theories are. So I've been approaching the urban-rural split a bit from a specified lens. And what I mean by that is uh, my podcast is mostly about agriculture, kind of explaining mm-hmm. the connection between agriculture and the consumer and, and kind of, you know, the rather lack thereof in, in terms of communication between the two parties. And so um, there's really not a whole lot of, I wouldn't say necessarily a political motivation in, in my podcast, but there's definitely that that does play a role. Um, my podcast is more about kind of explaining to consumers why agriculture is important and kind of explaining agricultural terms that, that you know, in, in order for, for them to understand uh, more accurately what's going on in, in the industry and then vice versa, explaining to agriculture what consumers are curious about, what they want to learn more about, and what agriculture can do to better to better repair that relationship. So from the perspective of the urban-rural split, I've been kind of studying it from that perspective of, you know, agriculture and, and the urbanized areas haven't exactly gotten along in some time, and I kind of have a timeline that I've proposed as, as my, you know, general theory as when this started to occur and kind of where it's at now. Um, because we're starting to see there's almost like a cyclical nature to this thing where it started, uh, you know, this, this has happened before in history, but in, in American history, this, this started uh, kind of from what I can tell in the early 20th century and is starting to kind of loop back now where consumers are becoming more interested in agriculture. They are starting to adapt more rural lifestyles, again, even if they're still living in urban areas, because they see it as kind of a more peaceful, you know, more uh, kind of freeing lifestyle than uh, as opposed to living in the urban in their urban dwellings. I think I think you're right, and 
I think one of the reasons that uh, urban folks see it as more peaceful is because, um, so my dad, um, his dad was a farmer Mm. and he had a job. I mean, he had, he was an electrician for the railroad, but uh, he, he helped out on his family farm quite, quite significantly. Mm. And I think a lot of people that see farming as peaceful in a way it is, and in a way it's really hard, backbreaking work. Mm. And, you know, the, there's a family story that when my great-grandfather, um, so his dad, when my, grand, when my granddad's dad died, uh, the doctor was a family friend, and he did an autopsy or something and found out that Earlier on, my grandfather had had a, my great grandfather had had a heart attack Hmm. and the, the heart just built up other muscle around it, around the damaged part because he was such a hard worker. Hmm. So nobody knew about that heart attack, (laughs) you know, that sounds about right. (laughs) No. So to, yeah okay it's it can be more peaceful but it you know it's a backbreaking sort of situation um i think i would if you want to be really super historical about it i think you're right i think about the turn of the 20th century was when this really kicked off mm-hmm. and i think you see that in the way they talk about they who's they the way the the small town papers and stuff talk about jazz and things like that i mean believe it or not jazz was was thought of as you know the devil's music or whatever mm-hmm. however you want to say it um and I mean, that's, I guess when you see it, but I mean, that you could possibly even go back to this before the Civil War, I mean, to a sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, if you want to think about it, from if you want to objectify the country and just look at it from an objective lens, our country never really, as a political entity, never really reckoned with labor. Like we never really reckoned with wage labor. Um, they used to actually call it uh, wage slavery, which, which is uh, interesting to think about. Like having a job, what you and I would call having a job, they called wage slavery, hmm. right? And one of the reasons that the Civil War even happened was that you had these people, you had like a a brand new class of people, right? Mm-hmm. Who weren't, uh, they weren't farmers per se, right? So mm-hmm. therefore society didn't really, there wasn't really a place for them. But yet they did have a what you, you and I would call a job. And it was a very skilled job. It was, a, they were railroad workers, right? Mm-hmm. And all these railroad workers, there's a fascinating statistic that the Northern Railroad workers would almost universally vote for Abraham Lincoln. Mm. 
And the reason why was, why do you think it was? Before I tell you why, why do you think it was? I would, if I had to guess, I would say because Abraham Lincoln kind of stood for the labor force. Well, it's a little more local than that. It's a little more down to folk than that. Mm. So you would, but you're right. So what they would be doing, now put yourself in their shoes, okay? Mm-hmm. You'd be you'd be building this railroad track, okay? Mm-hmm. And when you're building the railroad track, you're also building a town, okay? You're building a town that you can live in while you're building this railroad track, mm-hmm. okay? Now, next to you, literally over the hill or whatever, like you can actually see these people. These are people you can see you would see these black people and they were working just as hard as you were. They were doing everything you were doing. In a lot of ways, they were just as capable and practically in every way they were just as capable. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, if you take uh, reading and writing out of the equation, they were just as capable as you were and they weren't getting paid. Okay. They were slaves. Right. And, the un and the the northern railroad workers literally looked at that, and they were like, "Oh, they're going to take our jobs, right?" Mm-hmm. And so these people voted for Abraham Lincoln almost in mass. Um, you know, and then you you, you see that in other ways too. You um. So the mill towns in uh, New England, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, originally, they were set up as uh, almost temporary situations for young ladies to come in and work in a, a textile mill. And very quickly, these young ladies realized that uh, if I have my own money, I get to make my own decisions and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And... and so this is how like Lowell, Massachusetts sprang up, um, you know, and so the rural situation in the country uh, didn't really have, they kind of looked at that on that with suspicion and, and for really good reason. Okay. Let's, let's be honest here. I mean, we don't think about this because we live in it. Okay. We live in a world where with money, where money is is important to us. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like you have to buy your food, you have to go to the you have to own you have to pay the bank for your house or your landlord for your apartment or or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. A right. lot of people back then they didn't have to do that. There, there's a statistic uh, that I don't actually remember right now, but it was a best boiled down into a story. Mm. And the story was that whenever Jesse James would, would ride into a town and rob the town, um, he would create kind of this economic seismic event because he would steal all the town's money. Mm. By robbing that one bank, he would steal all the money. And then he would create another seismic event because why? Because he would spend it in another town. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? 
Yeah, he's causing a flux in the economy. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I'm I'm curious then, um, you know, kind of fast forwarding a bit in you know in the timeline, because uh, for for my observations, kind of you know again taking the, the agricultural point of view on things, I've noticed that kind of post Civil War era, early Industrial Revolution era is kind of when the the boom of big cities first started to occur, and this was kind of the first time, kind of you know like you were mentioning with the railroad workers the first time that people involved in, in you know, manual labor started to realize that their jobs were, were losing value because there were better jobs they could do that they could get paid more for and have to do less strenuous labor. And so, you know, that, that started in, you know, at least in my view, start to cause the first schism between, you know, agricultural or just general manual labor t- based industries and more urbanized, you know, careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, so kind of the, the thing that I'm trying to pinpoint here is, uh, you know, with, with this whole theory I'm, I've been running through is if we follow that timeline, kind of see, you know, as the split continued to, to, to occur, what ramifications did that have on urban life and on just, you know, in, in American society in general, you know, what, what impacts did that have on the economy, on social life, on, uh, kind of general norms on, you know, everything, you know, cause I have this theory that agriculture is kind of foundational to society and that separating the two tends to cause some kind of societal shift that's not, uh, I don't say natural, that's not quite the right word, but it's it's not quite, uh, you know, it's not quite the same as, as it would be for, for a society that was, you know, more agriculturally uh, dependent or involved. Well, okay. I think if we fast forward to now, I think one of the problems that we have, one of the major problems in this country that we have is that before the pandemic, okay, mm-hmm. so before March 14th, 2020, mm-hmm. you had, let me get the number right, it was 34 vacant structures, vacant housing units per homeless person in this country. Hmm. All right. Now, let's talk about that. Hmm. I talked to people. I wanted to know how business owners were making it through the pandemic or or just people, you know. Hmm. And so I would talk to people. And they would all talk about missing people. Like people that, that they knew or that they saw in their day-to-day that they were gone, that were just missing. And it's not like they thought they'd been abducted by aliens or, you know, kidnapped by pedophiles or whatever, right? They were just missing, and there were a lot of them, right? It was literally every person I talked to except maybe two or three. Hmm. And then I talked to a housing lawyer who explained that statistic I just told you, all right? Hmm. So... Fast forward to right now where you hear about a worker shortage, right? Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not you think the worker shortage is real or not, I'm not here to, to argue with. But I think it's, so, it's sort of real because you see like $18 an hour, you know, at the McDonald's or the, the KFC or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing I've been chewing on for a while, right? Mm-hmm. What if, because when you're homeless, you don't have internet. Right. Right. 
if you're homeless, you don't have internet. If you don't have internet, you can't apply for a job mm-hmm. <laughs> in 2021. Right. Right? Mm. Okay. <laughs> you see where mm. I'm going? Yes. Um, no, I, I definitely follow you. Um, which that kind of, you know, that even ties back into another, you know, um, uh, arguments, not quite the right word, but another kind of, you know, a point, you know, point of yours in, in terms of how, how the labor shortage relates to the you know, kind of lack of access to current resources. Um, mm-hmm. There's been a big conversation about the relationship between uh, poverty and hunger and lack of labor and all that sort of thing, because the, those three kind of work in a, in a vicious cycle. You know, if, if you're poor, you can't afford food. If you can't afford food, then you're malnourished. If you're malnourished, you can't work. And if you work, if you can't work, then you're poor. And so, you know, and, it doesn't right. matter what point of that, that cycle you start. If you start in that cycle, then you're going to end up sticking to that cycle until either somebody pulls you out of it or you find kind of a lucky break that gets you out of it yourself. Yeah, I mean, and that's, and I think the other thing, you know, that you need to talk about is you, you had said earlier that agriculture and society are separating. I don't think that's possible. I, mm. I think the other problem we're having is that there's so few people, like the small farms are basically going, you know. You know what I'm saying? Um, and there's so much corporations that handle our food supply. I heard this fascinating statistic right when the pandemic was rocking about how much of our food actually spends time in China. Hmm. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? At some point in the food chain, some point in the cycle of that product, it spends time in China. Hmm. And that's an insane way to live to, to my way. I'm, I know we have to make some changes for that to go away. I, I know that I'm not naive, mm. but that's an insane thing to do is to ship food to China to package it and then ship it back to here. Right. That's insane. Yeah. No, I, I completely <laughs> agree with you. We definitely have kind of a, you know, a, a strange structure to our, our food supply system. Right. And, I mean, you know, and I think another problem that you have is you have these people that, how do I want to say this right? It's like you have, you're living in two different Americas, Mm. basically. There's two different, like you're dealing with two different priority, two different uh, priority sets. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe to some extent you always were, but the difference now is you have social media. Right. So, like, you can't change the subject. Like, you can't. Like, social media has has made us has made us able to connect to folks. Like, I connected to you. I've connected to so many people because of this podcast, and it's wonderful mm-hmm. and great that I've done that. But it's also made it to where. Like any little time my brain fires, I can throw that into a feed. And if I'm right. not thinking, <laughs> you know, or it's just like, that's a problem. Right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely can, you know, I can see where, where you're coming from with that. You know, it's um, kind of to your point, I've, I've definitely made a lot more connections through my podcast as well. And I've had my eyes open to just, how big the world is just by talking to people who are from different parts of it. Um, I, 
speak all the time about how I grew up in a small, you know, agricultural community where I was kind of, I kind of grew up being taught that people who aren't involved in agriculture either aren't going to support it, uh, aren't going to support it, or they don't care, or it's kind of just not at the forefront of their mind. Um, but I've kind of been, you know, I've had that idea flipped on its head just by talking to people from uh, more urban areas and, and, you know, being kind of surprised by just how curious they are about lifestyles that they're not involved in, whether it be agricultural or just general rural, rural areas or kind of, uh, you know, even like foreign areas that, that have to do with, you know, ways of life that they are, that they don't have access to. I mean, I've always been, not always, I, I can't say always, honestly, but ever since I've thought about it, you know, I, I've been curious about peppers and, you know, mm -hmm. how does this pepper grow? How does this, where, why is this corn different from that corn? Like, I know it's different. Right. Why is it different? Things right. like that. I mean, um, you know, I mean, but then again, I'm a curious person. I don't think it's that urban people don't care. I think it's that people are too worried about, you know, keeping a roof over their head or, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> No, definitely. And I've actually, I've, I've kind of learned through, you know, through interactions with people and through experience that it's, it's not just that they don't care necessarily. It's more that they don't have access to the information readily available. And, you know, you can make arguments that the internet is, you know, is free and that they have access to that. But most people, like you mentioned, they have bigger fish to fry. You know, they have other issues that are worth worrying about and they're not going to take well, their time to actively do research on agriculture. They're just kind of, kind of trust what they're told. Well, it's like, you know, I mean, it's like I did a podcast series, a deep dive series on the Spanish flu and COVID-19, mm -hmm. and I have a master's degree in history, um, but I've learned a lot more about viruses in the last year than than I ever knew before, mm -hmm. but it's because I, go it's because I researched it online, I googled it, but I... I I also had the education to sift through, you know, the, the 5G, <laughs> right. you know, the, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if the lab leak hypothesis is, is for, for real, but I know it's out there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I believe it, but I've certainly read compelling evidence from people who seem to think it could be real or real adjacent. Right. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah no definitely i mean but it, it gets back to you have to there's an amazing machine in front of me but you have to know how to type in what you right. want to what you want to hear or what you want to read or whatever yeah and you know there, there's a big part of it that has to do with you know the you know the wording that you even type in you know if if i look up something you know it, depending on how I word a question, I'm going to get very different results on, on my answer kind of thing. Um, if, if, if or you know, clean out, you, or clean out your cash or you, when you clean out your right. history. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know? No, yeah, exactly. I mean, like anything you looked up in the past, you know, as you look up new things, that's going to alter the information that's available to you. You know, I'm, if you're looking up primarily things that, that lean towards a very specific type of mindset, you're trying to get answers on a different type of mindset, you're going to have a hard time unless you're really careful about what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. For true. For true. Um, awesome. Yeah. So I can hear in your voice, you, you, you say you're from California. 
But I hear in your I hear in your voice a touch of the south. <laughs> yeah. So I I actually grew up in uh, Central California. So not not quite south, but you know basically uh, we are kind of the most southern type area of California. Um, very you know very rural, very you know agriculturally based. I grew up you know working with cows and going to rodeos and all that sort of that stuff. So definitely not the typical Californian. Did your, uh, but I heard how you said awesome, and that's how somebody, that's how somebody from the South would say awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I I get that a lot from my dad. He, he's, you know, he grew up, you know, here in in California as well, but, you know, his family's all Okies, so we have a very, you know, Uh, I guess kind of Oklahoma style verbiage to our, you know, to kind uh, of some some things we say. Okay, all right, okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So, do you have, do you have any other questions or? Because I have um, questions I mean, for you. Okay. Um. I I really I think that kind of answered everything I was looking for from the history side of things. But yeah, if you have anything, I'm I'm kind of curious to hear what you what you think. As far as the urban rural divide, or as far as um. Whatever you I got. Think, I mean, if you have yeah, any questions or anything. I think our current setup is unsustainable. I honestly do. I think mm-hmm. it's totally unsustainable. Um, you know, I, a $3,000 two bed or one bedroom apartment is just not a sustainable way to live. Mm. And, and then when you, when you talk to this lawyer and you find out why that apartment is $3,000 and you're like, oh, okay, we need to change that. Mm. (laughs) I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're aware, but we in the 2010s or 2010 they decoupled mm. rent from the market from the law of supply and demand right so at the federal huh. level so we need to change that mm-hmm. we need to move we need to move that back um yes but so i got a question how do you okay so when you do your like your uh let me see you you have your your basic like uh beef that i can get at kroger but you but what what percentage of your produce is actually going to the uh i guess the more boutique uh marketplaces like the more boutique grocery stores and things like that so is that kind of so is your question kind of based off of the percentage of, of produce grown in the united states and what what percentage of that is going to kind of higher end um grocery stores or, or I'm, I'm kind of confused by your question well in your community in your in your town or, or okay yeah like what first of all what what do y'all grow uh per se so in in my neck of the woods we are mostly dairy oriented so we have a lot of dairy farms uh trees have started to take over quite a bit so we grow almonds pistachios uh, some row crops like cotton and corn and that sort of thing um lots of silage corn so we we have a a, a big sector of our of our farmland dedicated to growing feed for animals um that's most of it in kind of like the surrounding areas citrus is pretty popular uh you 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 know if you start to kind of go south you'll start seeing more um uh, what's the word i'm looking for kind of like uh more more colder climate uh style uh, crops kind of like you know strawberries might, might be more common kind of on the coastal areas um you know beef cattle are kind of more common up in the hills you'll see a lot of those pork and and, and chickens are kind of more common up north that sort of thing um, but in, you know, if we're talking specifically about my hometown or my home County, yeah, it's mostly dairy, 
pistachios, almonds, and then a few row crops here and there. Okay. Um, cool. I, you yeah, know, and... I wasn't aware of like, I, I was aware that there's a county that grows somewhere in California. There's a county that grows most of the, was it olives or like every, it's literally like every olive in America comes out of one county in California, just about it. And that sounds about right. Um, I, for a for, you know, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you which one it was, but I know that yeah. California, I mean, California is probably most popular for their grapes because of Napa Valley. Um, but mm. yeah, California is actually one of, if not the most agriculturally productive state in the entire country. Yeah. I went to California years ago at this point and I was, it was shocking. I mean, every notion of California I'd had before that was like from music videos or from movies or whatever. <laughs> right. So right. Not, not, but what was amazing was how rural it actually was. Like, and I'm, I mean, like really, really rural and also yeah. like productive, like, like a lot of like, I remember there was the biggest field of strawberries I'd ever seen in my life. Like, <laughs> just huge. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then that's a big thing that people tend to not realize. Like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone out of state and people find out that I'm not only from California, but I'm involved in agriculture and I come from kind of a, you know, like kind of like you, they hear my accent and they're very confused by it. Um, and I have to explain to him like, Hey, California is more than just LA and, and San Francisco. And we're not just a whole beach. Like you'd be surprised how many people think that the entire state of California is a beach. And so I have to, I have to explain to them like, no, actually most of California is very rural, very, very agriculturally based. It's almost like New York. New York's kind of like that. We have New York city and Albany and some of the other larger cities, but most of New York in terms of, you know, in terms of acreage is agricultural land. Well, I think that's a that's a problem. I mean, I think that's a like when I was talking to people for my podcast, people first of all they would always tell me you don't sound southern, and secondly, they would say Atlanta isn't that a small town? Like, and I'd be like, no, it's huge. It's like <laughs> I think we've got like seven and a half, eight million people there, yeah. whatever it is. Like, we gained like a million people this last census. Wow. it's just huge <laughs> yeah no it's definitely massive i mean you know um but that's a problem that we don't understand like the rural people and the urban people it's not north and south i think it's urban rural right we just don't understand each other and i think we need to if we want to still be a country we need to start trying to do that more right that's no i really i understand. yeah I agree with you 100%. Um, that's actually kind of uh, one of the big driving points of this. You know, I'm, I'm kind of doing a mini series right now of, you know, kind of explaining this, you know, the urban rural divide and, and kind of why it needs to be mended, you know, not just because I think people need to get involved in agriculture or anything like that. But I think that having an active communication about this stuff, I think that having a, an understanding of, of both sides of the coin is, you know, vital in order to make the country run more efficiently and, and kind of stay stable. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and a uh, big shout-out to Ben for, for sticking around and for doing the episode with me. It was sure a lot of fun. I'll be plugging all of his stuff down in the description, so be sure to go check that out. And I hope to see you all next week. And don't forget, if you ate today, thank a farmer.